Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. You know, the choice all of us have at the end of the day, not just kids, but of course it's more vulnerable for kids because their minds are still growing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you have a choice in your bed at night between all of the information in the history of the world or the back of your eyelids. And that's a crazy, crazy binary to be choosing the entire time, you know? And it's like, we're hyper-connected and we're lonely. We're overstimulated and we're numb. We're objectifying ourselves and we're expressing ourselves. So both things exist together. And the sound of a phone dropping is maybe the most terrifying sound any of us could hear. Is it okay? Um, uh, yeah, and as far as the, the clip goes, you know, it was something I had noticed in feeling as close to people 10 years older than me than I did people two years younger than me. And the sort of generational signifiers are now becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. It used to be like, ooh, I had an eight track and my father had vinyl. You know what I mean? Those were like 15 years apart. And now those generational sort of uh, ten poles are happening every six months. You know, it's very, very, very different to have something like Snapchat than YouTube. And these are all owned by the same company that YouTube owns. But I'm from YouTube, so I feel like I can talk about it. Which is like, why do you think Snapchat exists? Why do you think they would make a company for 13-year-olds where uh, a photo disappears after 24 hours? Why do you think kids would want to use that? You know, I've been to Silicon Valley. I've met these places. They're, they're, they're buildings full of 300 people who are all employed to give children what they want not what they need, the, the base, base interests of children's wants. Because before you wanted to get to a kid, you had to appeal to their parents because their parents would turn the television off. So if you wanted to make a program for a kid, it had to appeal to their parents because their parents were in control of the media they consumed. The kids have direct access to it now, so it doesn't matter. And there's an entire dialogue happening between these tech companies and kids that parents are completely unaware of and entire companies and apps evolving and changing based on a complete dialogue with kids like ids. It's wild, 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 wild stuff. Welcome back to Back From The Borderline. I'm your host, Molly. The words you just heard were from American comedian, musician, and filmmaker, Bo Burnham. He gave this talk, and it's a small clip, from the Child Mind Institute's discussion about self-esteem in the age of social media. So this clip is from 2019, but it popped up on Twitter for me this week and it struck such a chord that I wanted to share it with all of you. I have received countless DMs, emails, and voicemails from many of you listeners about social media and the havoc it wreaks on your life, your relationships. This is coming from me, number one queen of letting social media run my entire identity and existence and also implode my relationships. I used to hyper analyze the likes and follows of people I used to date. I used to obsessively check if people viewed my story on Instagram, Snapchat, whatever app I happened to be using at the time. I would be obsessed with read receipts. 
and wonder why someone wasn't getting back to me. Creating fucking stories. 90% of the time, when I'd be freaking out about something, it would turn out to be the exact opposite of the story I was creating in my mind. Sometimes I was right, but I always like to say that if you feel the need to go looking for something, there's already a huge problem in your relationship. If you are being Carmen Sandiego and putting your detective pants on and trying to decipher whether someone is cheating on you, you need to turn around and look at yourself and ask, why am I in a relationship with someone I can't trust? And why am I expending energy on trying to catch someone doing something when I could be figuring out what my needs are and finding out what needs aren't being met in my relationship? Asking, are you asking for those needs to be met? Are you in a relationship where there's no way that those needs could be ever met and you know that deep down and yet you continue to still play these silly, silly games of cat and mouse and detective. It's all so silly, but we do it. And it brings me to this clip, (laughs) circling back all the way back to this clip of Bo Burnham and what he's saying about social media, what I've realized. Many of you know that I've taken a four-month hiatus from Instagram. If you're listening to this far, far in the future, in the summer of 2022, I've decided to just stop Instagram for a while in July. Now here we're sitting here in November and I felt like I could finally go back, but I really needed some time away because I felt like it was controlling my life. And I ask you, is social media adding to your life or is it just controlling you? What I love about this clip with Bo Burnham is he talks about how these social media companies, they're not evil. What they are, are capitalist, just like the society we live in. These companies, their main objective is to make money, but also more so than money in the tech sphere is engagement. I've been working in tech for 10 years and I know that the only thing my team and myself focus on is engagement within the product or tool that you happen to be working for. And most of the people are people just like me trying to do their jobs. And if they don't get engagement up within the tool that they're selling, their jobs could be on the line. Success is measured upon engagement. And that focus on engagement has strayed us, in my opinion, so far away from creating software and services in this world that people actually find genuine value from. And so here we are, right? We're in the current climate where social media companies see your time and your attention as capital. And we can't change that on our own. But what you can do is be aware of that and create a more conscious and mindful time when you're on social media. Treat it as a challenge to yourself. Can you engage with social media without making up stories, without creating 
drama without building narratives in your mind and getting emotionally dysregulated, if you can't do that, then I highly recommend taking a complete cold turkey break from it for a while. It doesn't have to be forever. Just take a step back and then come back when you can give some thought as to how you want social media to provide value for you. Maybe that means unfollowing people or if you don't want to unfollow them, you can always mute their story and post updates if you don't want to get into some weird shady altercation with someone asking why you unfollowed them. You can also mute their posts. You can create time blocks on your phone. You can unfollow a bunch of accounts and specifically follow things that are going to provide value to you. Now I've come back on Instagram for a bit. That might change. Maybe I'll take another break. But right now I've decided to shift my strategy on Instagram and instead of killing myself to make these long-winded highly researched written up posts which took so much time and I know that they were valuable for people too but it made Instagram feel like a chore for me and then I would get people commenting all sorts of nasty stuff on my posts when this was content I was putting out for free and it made me feel like shit so I also don't think that people are in the mindset when they're sitting scrolling through Instagram to be reading these meaty long posts, not to mention I just don't think that short form platforms like Instagram, TikTok should be where you are nourishing your mind with mental health content. Mental health content is complex, nuanced, and dialectic. And those concepts can't be accurately summarized on a platform that is incentivized by what these platforms are incentivized by. Does that make sense? Which is why I love RSS. For those of you who aren't podcast nerds like myself, RSS is like www dot right of the internet. RSS feeds are how podcasts are distributed. I love RSS because it is completely free. I can say what I want. It's long form and I can distribute my content the way that I want. It's not part of this huge, massive, messy capitalist algorithm. So I have now decided I'm using my Instagram as just a billboard for the podcast. If people like the little pictures that I put up and they come to the podcast, that's great. I share this only because of the sheer volume of questions I get from each and every one of you about social media and how to interact with it in a healthy way. Everybody's different. So only you can decide how to make a conscious and mindful relationship with social media platforms, how to become more aware constantly of the fact that your attention is the product and to do your best if you are feeling that feeling and you know exactly what I'm talking about where you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and you're like, oh my God, you feel like a robot where you're like, how long have I been doing this? Get the fuck off your phone when you feel like that because that's when you slip into robot mode. 
if you are having a cup of coffee or something and you just scroll it and you follow accounts that really fill your cup up and you feel good after getting off of your phone, that's when you know you've created a conscious relationship that's adding value to your life. So assess yourself. Look at your life. Look at your choices around social media and ask, does it make sense if I feel like shit when I'm getting off of this platform? Are you spending too much time on it to where you get into like a drooling zombie state? Are you creating narratives about the stuff that you see? Are you obsessing over people's activity on the apps? Like, don't do that. Don't look what other people are doing. It's none of your business and you're only going to create stories about it anyways. Trust me on this. I don't look at anything Zaz does on social media. I'm consider myself blessed because he's not very active on social media, but I don't need to know. I trust him and I know that my intuition will tell me if something's wrong in my relationship. I don't need to go searching for clues. So I hope this was helpful for any and all of you who have reached out to me about social media because I feel like that answers in such a blanket way most social media woes. The last thing I'll say about my reintroduction to social media is a tip that I'll share with you because maybe you'll want to steal it. So my Instagram is back from the borderline at back from the borderline and what I've done is I've created a highlight on my Instagram page that says boundaries and in my Instagram bio I ask that if someone is newly coming across my page that they please read my boundaries and I've written all the different things that I expect when people are on my page because when someone comes onto your Instagram page that's like your house that's your boutique that's your coffee shop right and you can have boundaries on that page doesn't matter if you're a big creator a celebrity or anything like that so think about that too and if you want to go check out my boundaries highlight on instagram you can do that and if you want to steal some of it and some of the copy from it feel free to do that but it's a good exercise too doing something like that on your instagram sitting there and making that slide was powerful for me because it forced me to think about what are my boundaries and that's key if you haven't already been able to tell this is a more chill laid back episode i feel like we've done a lot of interviews recently we've talked a lot with people who specialize in quote unquote bpd and as you all know i respect the hell out of any professional or institution who is trying their best to provide resources and help to anyone who identifies with the symptoms of what we call borderline personality disorder. But for those of you who are a loyal follower and listener of the podcast, it will be no strange thing for you to hear me remind new listeners that I just don't believe that borderline personality disorder is a thing. I believe that the symptoms are real, very, very real. I believe that the experiences that we all go through are incredibly real. What I believe is a construct is the phrase borderline personality disorder. I never ever want my listeners to forget that that is just a group of words. A group of words can never define you. It can potentially 
the resources and the help and findings and research that incredible people out there have that have done for anyone who identifies with the cluster of symptoms that falls into BPD. I am shouting from the rooftops about that. But we all know that there is a dark side to the DSM and there is a dark side to psychiatric practice and medicine. And it is not unlike what we've discussed with the social media thing. Nothing is either inherently good or bad. I don't think psychiatry or the DSM or diagnostic labels are all good or all bad. But I believe that we should be aware of when they're useful and when they're not. So it can be helpful. I like to say that diagnostic labels for me are like a map. They helped me when I was very early on in my journey and barely functioning. And that was a reality for me. I was barely functioning as a person. Having a diagnostic label to turn to and then type into Google and find some helpful free resources that were specially put together for someone who is experiencing symptoms like I was at the time. That was incredible. Not only that, I found some amazing people in the BPD community who have now become lifelong friends. But I have realized through my journey that there comes a time where the label no longer fits. It no longer feels right. And it feels a little bit like training wheels on a bike. You kind of have to get to a point where you shed identifying with that label or saying, oh, yeah, I need people to make accommodations for me because I have BPD, right? There has to be a time in your growth phase where that is no longer acceptable for you anymore. You want to find out who you truly are free from any labels. Maybe that's gender, sexual, diagnostic, anything. Who are you without all of the filters from this matrix? That's what I'm trying to find out. That's why I make this podcast and I make it for anyone who is at that stage. So I find that a lot of times my message can trigger people that are in the beginning phase. Sometimes in the BPD community, this is called baby borderlines. I hate that phrase. I hate referring to anyone as a borderline or you have BPD. Dr. Fox is right there with me too. For long-term listeners, you'll know who Dr. Fox is. You don't have BPD. You aren't a borderline because it means that you're either infected with something or like it is who you are. And that group of words can never define who you are. It can't, but it can help you when you are really early on. So I have to say early on in your career as a borderline. <laughs> early on in your career when you fill out the, the application for borderline school and you can just stick to that label all you want when you're a baby borderline. But again, there comes a time when you are a little baby borderline in your cocoon and you must fly and break free and shed the BPD label and find out what lies on the other side and that's what I'm obsessed with researching is really what makes our mind tick what 
information can I learn in my journey that can help make this easier for you too and continue to fly out of this chrysalis, help us shed all of this programming and all the bullshit so that we can see clearly. And that's what I can always promise to do for you. I will always be here asking you to question the things that you hold dear, the beliefs that you think are totally true. Sometimes a few years later in your recovery journey, you look back and you think, wow, I am a completely different person now. Someone who I have come across in the last year or so is Dr. Jessica Taylor. And loyal listeners will know that I did another episode about her work. I think the episode is called Witches and Borderline Bitches, but she's written multiple books. Specifically, one of her books is called Why Women Are Blamed for Everything. So spoiler alert, she is a very, very feminist. (laughs) She's also incredibly passionate about trauma-informed care. She also has lots of thoughts about BPD as a diagnostic label. I ran across this YouTube video of her. It's like four years old now, but still it hits. So I'm just going to play this and then potentially react throughout or at the end. So let's hear what Dr. Jessica Taylor has to say about BPD and potentially this new quote miracle drug that was claiming to cure BPD at the time that this was recorded. Just full disclosure, I have no idea what this drug was. I didn't look that deeply into it, but I have no doubt that there was some kind of drug in the UK that was being trialed because Jessica is on top of her shit. When I say that this is a woman that I would not want to like be in a court case with or something because homegirl comes with her receipts and research. (laughs) So, but anyway, she has strong opinions. She's a really strong vocal woman. And I think there's a lot of gold dust in here. And I always love listening to her perspectives because I really do feel like we're at a point in the history of how we view mental health here in the West, I want to make this very specific because we have a specific way of treating and viewing quote-unquote mental illness in the Western world that is looked at as just quackery in other parts of the world. I think that's really important to remember as well. So in any case, let's hear from Dr. Jessica. So this morning I saw an article um, that was claiming to have found a new miracle cure for borderline personality disorder and I just thought I'd make a quick video about that. I don't, it was just, you know, when you read something you just, you can see right through it and that's how it felt, like it was transparent that, you know, this is a drug that is claiming to be able to medicate and change personality. Personality itself is a contested concept. All over the world, personality is perceived differently. We have a lot of research now that's starting to accept that the way that we measure personality, the psychometrics that we use, are not accurate and that they're not culturally specific. They're not even 
specific to the you know the time and the place of the human they don't see personality as in flux as in as you know being flexible and changeable and different at different stages of our lives so it's really worrying that you know we would you know that the fda would approve a drug that can you know change personality that claims to be able a miracle cure for borderline personality disorder now the reason that i have such an issue with borderline personality disorder and i've written blogs about this before is that it's sexist borderline personality disorder disproportionately affects young girls and young women who have got trauma histories and have histories of abuse and things like that it represents a true misunderstanding of trauma and the pathologization of trauma the fact that for some reason we're moving towards this really strict medical model that doesn't even allow humans to suffer trauma without being told that they're disordered there is something really insidious about a woman or a girl experiencing complex traumas rape abuse neglect grief and then six months to 12 months later being sat down by cpn and told that all of their symptoms suggest that they have a personality disorder it's it's stigmatizing you don't have a personality disorder you can't have a disordered personality if there was such thing as a disordered personality there would have to be such thing as the optimum personality or a perfect personality or an ordered personality but personalities shift and change and evolve all the way through your life you can't tell me that you have the same personality traits that you did 16 years ago or five years ago. And you probably will not have the same personality traits in 10 years from now. Personality is not stable. And it's just, it's just horrible to see an article that is giving messages to the general public that not only that there can be something wrong with your personality, and it's your personality that's at fault after you've experienced trauma and abuse. But there's a drug you can take where you take one pill a day and it'll fix your personality. It's so Orwellian, it's crazy. So, you know, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts. I know that this is really contentious, I get that, but we've, we've surely got to move to trauma-informed understanding, right? Like, when are we gonna get to the point where humans are allowed to be traumatized by their environment they humans are traumatized by oppression they're traumatized by abuse neglect their childhood the society that we live in is traumatizing there is a lot of stuff out there that can cause you to experience lots of different types of trauma symptoms even just daily stresses we don't even talk about the fact that humans are allowed to be anxious they're allowed to be distressed they're allowed to be stressed they're allowed to be depressed they're not disorders. They are natural responses to an environment. They, and that's that, this is why I feel really strongly that we we have to move towards the social model of mental health and understanding that humans don't exist in a vacuum. We're not the individuals that we claim to be. We are affected by society. We, you know, we are affected at every level of our being. Is is intrinsically linked to all these different levels of society like culture law religion social norms gender stereotypes all of these different things that constantly give us messages about who we are and who we're supposed to be and it's just so strange that we've individualized trauma so much that rather than saying to somebody
I think that your trauma responses are completely normal considering what you've lived through. We are actually saying you have a disordered personality. Ooh, there is like fire coming from her words. And I just want to let you know she's passionate because she has dedicated her every waking moment. She's a social worker and also an activist to helping women specifically. That's just her area of expertise, right? There are some therapists, for example, who specialize in working with cisgendered men. There are some specialists who work solely in the LGBT QIA plus communities, right? So Jessica Taylor specifically works with the population of women, but I she herself is a member of the LGBT community, so it expands there too. So what she's saying is very female focused, but her message is for all of us. Instead of saying, even though it might be maladaptive right now and causing difficulties in your life now, at one point, your behavior was likely adaptive given the environment that you were raised in. And there is nothing wrong with you inherently. It's just this programming, this trauma response that needs to be acknowledged A light needs to be shined on it. And then you need to find new, more adaptive ways of being. And human beings are so adaptive. I mean, look at us. Look what we've adapted to. Look at just people's behavior throughout the pandemic. Look at people's behavior in other times that have been really, really hard and traumatic throughout history. I don't have to, I could list it on and on and on examples of this. So just let your mind wander. You will stumble on an example if you give two seconds thought to the ways that human beings are so adaptive in times of adversity. And instead of taking that approach, we slap a label on it as you are defective. You are disordered. There is something wrong with you that makes it to where you can't contribute to society in the way that we want you to. There is something deeply wrong with that. And she's got a point here. So this is why I make my podcast for anyone who identifies with BPD. But I will never, ever, ever stop talking about the things that are deeply wrong with this entire system and I'll never stop reminding my precious listeners and myself as well that I'm a human being. I am not disordered. I am not defective. I am just growing and transforming and becoming more and more aware every single day of the behaviors and the thought patterns that no longer serve me. And I encourage you to think about what it might feel like to take that same view of yourself. You don't have to feel the same way I do. I'm just saying, try it on. See how it feels to look at your life and yourself through that more self-compassionate and quite frankly, realistic lens. 
I'm going to finish things off by reading a couple of listener emails, answering some questions. Yeah, you know, just hanging out, me and you. These kind of episodes are fun. So my first question is from Lindsay. She writes, hey, Molly, thank you so much for your podcast. My question is, What are some ways to ground in winter when it's cold and we are less likely to be outside barefoot? So you might be wondering, Molly, what the fuck is grounding? So grounding is also called earthing, and it's a therapeutic technique that involves doing activities that ground you, which is also essentially just being electrically connected to the earth. And there is science and even physics behind this to explain how electrical charges from the earth can have really positive effects on your body. I should probably do a whole episode on grounding and it requires its own episode, but I highly encourage you if your gut feeling is telling you right now, hmm, maybe I should look into a bit more about what grounding is. I encourage you to go down that rabbit hole and read about it. It's really interesting stuff. I also follow a podcast called uh, The Minimalists. Highly recommend that as well. They did an entire incredible episode with Clint Ober, who is the man behind the discovery of therapeutic grounding practices and he talks all about the effectiveness and different ways to ground so i highly recommend you look up the minimalists grounding episode it will come up you will find it don't worry about it so Lindsay asks how can you ground when it's freezing outside so You can either bundle up and literally go stick your feet in snow, but I don't recommend that. If you have a garage that is also cement, cement is, it works. (laughs) I'll go into this, just go look at the episode if you want to know about the science behind grounding, but cement works, but it needs to be like on the ground. It can't just be like cement on a balcony or something. Also, there are grounding or earthing mats that you can buy that plug into the wall and you can either buy things that check the um, charge, like things from Amazon that you can check to make sure the charge is right. If you really want to get nerdy with it, you know, I already bought me a grounding and earthing mat. I, it's hard to tell which intervention that I've used has made the biggest impact on my mental and emotional health because I do so many things differently than I used to now. I am all about my physical health and the things that I consume, content, the things that I consume physically like into my body now, my diet and my hydration, supplements, all these things, I am on it now. Whereas before... I just did not take care of myself very well at all. Um, And I'm very privileged to be able to uh, take care of my body in this way. So Lindsay, I hope this answers your question about grounding. Good for you for doing it. And there are earthing and grounding mats that you can buy. I highly recommend you really do your research because I'm sure there are some that are trash. I 
bought mine directly from Clint Ober's company. So highly recommend you just look up the Minimalist podcast and their grounding episode and you'll be able to find Clint Ober and his company and potentially check that out. This next voicemail is from a listener who we will have remain anonymous and they write, good morning from South Jersey. I've been listening to your podcast for several months now and it has been life-changing. My wife and partner of 10 years has been dealing with BPD since she was a teenager. She was of the mindset that you quote, grow out of it. So we never really questioned it. I got used to the outbursts and behavior and lost myself in the process. After years of thinking it was all me and that was the issue, I started talking to a therapist and after several sessions, I really started to understand that a lot of the problems do stem from my wife and her BPD. My therapist was the one that actually recommended your podcast to me. The amount of validation I received from my therapist and your podcast has been life-altering. My wife continues to deny seeing a therapist or reading books or anything, but at least I know and can practice healthier ways of talking and getting over things. I know I have my problems and I deal with depression, but I know it's not just all me. I was hoping you can make an episode about social media. That's been our biggest downfall. She overanalyzes every like and friend request. I had to get rid of Instagram because she has issues with me having one. I had to get rid of TikTok because she didn't like when videos of another woman showed up on my For You page. Social media has been such a big factor. I know you've mentioned parts like this on other episodes, but I'm hoping for a full episode on it unless you have one on the premium access. So wow, I'm full of empathy for this listener. And what I like about your message is that you realize that you have things you need to work on and maybe your wife does too. So I couldn't tell from your email whether or not she is officially diagnosed, your wife, or if this is just something that you think she might have. So I'm just going to err on the side of caution and assume that maybe she doesn't have an official diagnosis. But if she does, fair enough. But if she doesn't, just be careful when armchair diagnosing people with things. I think it's very common for people to go into therapy and for the therapist to armchair diagnose the partner of someone coming in with BPD or narcissistic traits or something like that. And I think that it's a really weird space we're in. But I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt and assume that your wife was given 10 years ago an official BPD diagnosis when she was a teenager. The one problematic thing here that I see is based upon what you've shared, and that's another huge Thing that I want to make clear is I only know with these emails one side of the equation. I only know what the person who's writing me is sharing, right? And that's only one side of the story because there are two sides and sometimes more to every story. But based upon what you've shared is you said that she is resistant to treatment, to reading books or anything like that. My question is, is maybe this person resistant Maybe because she feels like her, I'm saying in air quotes right now, her BPD is the issue in this relationship. Because if that were the vibe that I was being approached with, that would make me shut down. Even if that's true, maybe, that that these traits and her trauma 
is contributing to a lot of unrest in the relationship being approached in that way or being asked to do things like may put me off someone has to want to change their life for the better they have to want it and that's heartbreaking for those of us who want to help the people that we love but if someone is resistant and only one person is getting therapy and so therefore your therapist is only getting one side of the story then this relationship is going to be experiencing some rocky waters I can only imagine and if someone is so in their trauma that they are actually making you delete your social media accounts and you are abiding by that so do you see this like trauma dance that's being danced right now and I'm giving like hardcore big sister love right now I'm not going soft on you person who wrote this email I'm like just really trying to give the advice that I would want someone to give me which is the truth look at the problematic nature of that right is like person one exerts controlling trauma behaviors on another demanding that person to change their behaviors i.e their social media behaviors maybe even delete something exerting serious control and, and making unrealistic demands and person two kind of adheres to that Ugh. love is complicated relationships are complicated but I can say that what you are describing it doesn't sound like loving behavior to me that is not an environment I would want to be in I wouldn't want to be on the wife's side which is like completely maybe unconscious of my behavior and not ready to address my trauma and maybe being triggered by getting, you know, BPD resources forced upon me and feeling like my trauma is the problem here, which is probably maybe how she felt growing up. I don't know. I'm just filling in the blanks. And then you've got you, on the other hand, who is legitimately suffering because of this too, but also kind of staying and enabling the behavior and maybe just treading water because you don't want to call a spade a spade you know like saying like maybe maybe you have to take care of you maybe trying to unravel her behavior and make her want to quote unquote get better in the way that you see fit is not the best use of your time you know maybe you need to think about what you need what future you want and I know it's really scary speaking as someone who I had to leave a marriage myself after this person was unfaithful to me and I was living in a completely different country so I know what it feels like to like have your life unravel and have to choose like am I gonna stick with this or am I gonna choose myself and rebuild so this is just my genuine reflections reading your email it's so complicated I am not a doctor I'm not a therapist this is just me giving you advice like I would give my best friend if they reached out to me with this there's a lot going on here I don't blame you for feeling stuck I also think it's amazing that you're going to therapy 
I really admire you for trying to learn more about yourself and also about your wife. I really commend you for that and I commend you for reaching out to me and I hope that what I've shared has given you at least a little bit of food for thought. But that's it for today's episode, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed another journey into the back from the borderline universe with me, your host, Molly. And this week on the premium access version of the podcast, for those of you who aren't aware, I have a premium subscriber tier, which you can learn more about on backfromtheborderline.com and clicking unlock premium access. Each week, I release a special episode for my premium subscribers, and this week we're going to be taking a little break from our Hero's Journey series that we've been doing, which is a sort of like metaphysical, symbol-driven, folklore vibes journey through the psyche for spiritual and emotional healing lots of you have written to me saying how impactful this has been and I really love that and now that we are halfway through the hero's journey or a little more than half I thought it would be fun to just do a laid-back chill episode so I'm going to be doing a special bonus laid-back fun episode where I dissect some of the stuff I've posted on social media and maybe just have some chit chats with my premium subbies So if you're interested in unlocking that content, you can do that by going to the website. If you want to have your question answered on the podcast, you can write me an email or you can submit a voicemail by going to the website and clicking the microphone icon. I love each and every one of you. I hope that this episode today has given you some food for thought and I'm sending you tons of big hugs. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.